This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. I am flying solo today because Mr. Nash Houck decided his daddy did not need to be on a podcast and is throwing an appropriate fit to ensure that that doesn't happen. But that being said, don't need him. Still have two guests on here, Mr. AJ Peterson and Mr. Steve Williams from the Workers' Comp Company or Corporation of America. Fix it, Steve. Workers' Compensation Company of America. There you go. Workers' Compensation Company of America, and we are going to go deep on claims here for the next little bit. So before we get cranked up with all of that, AJ, you can you can lead off since you're the young buck, sort of give everybody the 10,000-foot overview as to who you are and where you came from, and then as soon as you're done, I'm going to ask that Steve do the same, and then we will be off to the races. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, my name is AJ Peterson. I, uh, I work with WCCA. I'm on the sales director over there. Um, born and raised in Tampa, Florida, and and now I've I've uh, made my way out to Denver, Colorado, and uh, kind of expanded my roots out there. They are not the same. No, not at all. <laughs> it has to feel good to be back in Carrollwood in December. I have to believe. Yes, it is. It's much nicer weather. That is for sure. I think I'm sitting outside at 65 degrees right now in the middle of December, so I'm pretty happy. Yeah. Yeah, 65 is a little cool for me. <laughs> but yeah, so Steve, a little bit about your background because I know it's deep. We talked and you've got some interesting facts that you shared with me just in the one-off that we had uh, last week. Yeah, well, um, I've been doing this. Uh, I've been workers. I've been an insur- a licensed insurance agent since 1987, but I've been doing this since 1991. So in March, I'll have been doing workers' compensation claims management in one way or another for 31 years. Um, and I started in the when we in the develop during the development of one of the first software products called Compensation Control that employers could use and, and brokers could use to help manage workers' compensation claims back in the early '90s. In 1993, I founded the first retail insurance agency in the country designed to sell only workers' compensation on a cost management model. A company called Employers Assistance Corporation. 1995, I founded the first wholesale brokerage in the country designed to sell only workers' compensation on a cost management model, Compensation Value Alliance. And in 1996, I 
I created, I adapted telephonic medicine to the workers' compensation system and founded the first triage, co-founded the first triage company in America called Company Nurse. And then in 1994, I founded WCCA, which is um, specifically has, a, has an interesting business model and is specifically designed to put direct deflationary pressure on the workers' compensation system. I understood all of that. I'm not necessarily sure my listeners will get it all, but that's the whole reason we're talking for more than five minutes. We're going to drill down on some of that stuff. So AJ had reached out to me, probably, I think it was through LinkedIn originally, because um, I'm somewhat active over there, just to introduce me to your brand and your product and walk me through a demo. I had a lot of questions about that, and then you and I hooked up last week. So mm -hmm. why don't you... Let's start out and lay the foundation a little bit and talk about why there is a need. Well, let's talk about what your product specifically, what your work product specifically is. Mm -hmm. And then and then the next thing we're going to follow up is why is there a need for that? Well, um, WCCA does three different things. Um, as a as far as operationally we for large employers employers pay more than a workers a million dollars in workers compensation premiums we'll do some risk finance consulting that's not selling insurance by the way that's basically just taking the actuarial data and figuring out the best type of risk financing plan for that employer uh yeah, because if you're at a million dollars in premium you probably if you have the controls in place you definitely should be on a loss sensitive you plan. definitely shouldn't let's put it this way you shouldn't be on a guaranteed cost for sure yeah um, exactly so, yeah so the, that's one of the things and trying to get them over their fear of taking risk and all that type of stuff but then it's the broker's job to go find the product in the marketplace um by the way 95 percent of our distribution through agents and brokers not interested in competing with our distribution source so um, um, if there's a product in the marketplace, we make sure that the, the, the um, agent is involved in all of that um, uh, process. Um, so we also do what we call data engineering. Um, the, um, because workers' compensation is very complex and because of the complexity of the workers' compensation system, the potential for errors in data is really high. So we'll kind of involve ourselves in the geeky minutiae of workers' compensation with the intention of rooting out and finding errors that aren't working in the best interest of the employer. Um, fixing those always reduces costs either in the future currently or from time to time we can get some refunds from the past. Um, it's a lot of a, what a lot of brokers and agents who are doing right now. They, they dive into the experience rating and make sure the experience rating works and stuff like that. Uh, we did 90% 90, 90 of that work we do is on old claims. We dive into old claims with the intention of um, at least to, to driving them to closure or decreasing the impact they have on costs and then making sure that they were handled properly um, during the uh, uh, period of time they were under management by the carrier. You put those first two things together, it's, it's no more than 10 to 15% of what we do. Nine, 85 to 90% of what we do is what we call claims engineering. We have a proprietary claims engineering program. It's called the WCCA method. Um, it's been evolving for the last 31 years. The actuarial study that was done on us to determine how what the impact should be on a new employer or a new client indicated that by implementing the WCCA method, an employer should expect about a 21% reduction in claim frequency, uh, plus about a 51% reduction in cost per claim. And then the way it shows up in premiums, they should expect a 68% reduction in the impact the claims have on premiums. So that's, that's the 100,000 foot view of WCCA. 
And why do you need to exist? That's the devil's advocate question, right? Because I think that there's probably a lot of agents out there and that are listening to this podcast that think that they have a handle on how this w should work and how they could help their clients in their agency. I have a feeling the numbers prove otherwise, but I want you to be the one to say that. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I don't have a problem saying it, but I want you to validate that's the whole point that you're there. Exactly. Look, I'm not a claims person. I have zero experience in handling claims. If I've got an issue with claims, I'm going to hire a claims professional, somebody with the level of experience necessary to have a positive impact on my client or my prospect's claims issue or issues that they may have. Okay. That's That's not what I do. And I think that a lot of times... You know, we want to try and be all things to all people. And, you know, look, agency principals, by and large, most of them are cheap. Mm -hmm. They don't want to invest in their team. They don't want to invest in their technology. And as a result, they try and handle this stuff in-house. And then they're left there wondering why that account went somewhere else right. at Renewal. Um, so in actually answering the question that distinguishes us from what brokers do in the business. So, by the way, when I was involved in doing the um, – uh, software 31 years ago, what that was basically doing, we were pioneering the advocacy, the, claim, the, the agency claim advocacy system at that particular time. So I'm one of the pioneers of that. So now I'm pretty much what, what most brokers and agents do. Some do better than others and some do more. Um, but for all intents and purposes, the purpose of, um, uh, of most advocacy or in-house uh, advocacy systems are designed to uh, pro provide advocacy on problem claims, claims that already exist. There's a problem. They may actually facilitate claim review meetings and do some pre-unit pre stat work and things like that. But reality is, is their claim that it's reactive. So something, it, once there's a problem or they identify that there's a problem as far as loss ratio or something like that, they might start diving in. So the WCCA method is targeted at keeping injuries from becoming claims, preventing small claims from becoming big claims, driving claims in a way where claims don't have reserves prior to unit stat. And if they do, we get to say what they are. Disrupting the payer, that's the insurance carrier or third-party administrator's incentive to handle claims in their best interest at the expense of the employer. Uh, preemptively setting up claims in a way that limits the impact that fraud has on, on claims. Um, um, the And then, you know, preemptively setting the stage for doctor's involvement in claim and actually directly managing each and every doctor visit. So we those so we're involved from the moment of injury to the time claim closes for all intents and purposes on 90 plus percent of the injuries we're involved in we're in control of that claim. And it's uh, and it's actually for the employer for all intents and purposes the reason the worker, I mean, the workers' compensation seems to work really well for everybody except for the employer. So we actually are uh, basically taking on the employer's ability and right to control their own costs. Now, that's from that standpoint. Also, from a contextual standpoint, the workers' compensation system is an inherently inflationary system. You know, in without getting into what an inherently inflationary, read, read Milton Friedman if you want to know what that is. But in, in, the, in workers' compensation, when something bad happens to the, to the consumer who happens to be the employer, like a claim, the entire system actually makes money on the increase in the cost of that claim. So relying on that system to provide the employer with what they need to control costs will never happen. 
So what we've done is not only have we built the business model for WCCA specifically designed for the business model itself to put direct deflationary pressure on the system, our system uh, is designed to ensure that we're in control of the claim and then if somebody is paying us to actually represent them in the workers' compensation arena, that we guarantee that we'll be able to provide them with actuarially verifiable proof we've saved them that amount of money, but we'll give it back to them. So, AJ, I'm going to switch gears for a second because I think a lot of people need a brain break for two seconds yeah. from listening to what just came out of Steve's mouth. What attracted you to this company? Why did you decide that this was where you needed to land? I mean, this isn't like the normal, hey, I'm going to go and get a job in sales and go door knocking and sell office supplies or payroll or whatever else, which, by the way, nothing wrong with any of those jobs. Those are who I recruit to come learn how to be producers from us. But I'm interested in, in what attracted you. Because, I mean, this isn't like... I, I, I say it tongue in cheek. The workers' comp policy in Florida is six pages. So if you're going to learn one, that's the one to learn. I mean, it's not like, you know, the insurance portion of it's that difficult, but they make up for it on the back end of everything that you deal with, you know, with how short the policy language is. How did, how did you get involved? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was fortunate enough to get introduced to Steve uh, by a really good friend of mine named Zanzibar. Um, and he just felt that I was I, I would be able to fit the uh, the role um, as a sales director um, for WCCA. Now, what I love about it is that I got an opportunity to directly understand how, just how much workers' compensation can affect an employer. Um, my parents they own a business here in Tampa, and um, this past year they're going to be paying twenty thousand dollars way too much when it comes to their their premiums over the next three years. Um, and so being able to see that from a, a personal standpoint, um, just made me think like, how can we go out and make a difference? Right. And that, and that's been something I've always wanted to do is how do I make a difference in the world? Um, so when I got the opportunity to kind of see, um, what workers compensation really is and how that really affects individuals and employers, um, and how that there was a way to help fix that and mitigate those costs for them. Um, I was all in for it. So who's an ideal prospect for you guys? You know, is you're you're the director of sales. We got the man himself on here. You guys are building this mousetrap or have built this mousetrap that's continuing to evolve. Who is your ideal candidate for someone for you to work with? Well, um, our average client's paying about a quarter million dollars in workers' compensation premiums. Um, however, we um, we deal with. I would say that our rough minimum is thirty-five or $40,000. However, we had a, a, a company that's paying $13,000 a year um, hire us just because they could fire somebody and replace them with us. So, you know, that happens. We also have clients who um, who are paying $3 million a year in underlying premium or $4 million a year in underlying premium uh, and on a $500 uh, per claim deductible. So otherwise it would be close to somewhere around $20 million in premium or something like that. Mm. So, um, you know, we have, a, we have, if they have claims, we can handle it. A claim's a claim a claim as far as we're concerned because the same things uh, affect that claim regardless of the, um, of the um, type of business it is. Um, the size of the business and the jurisdiction, by the way. So uh, it, it usually runs around quarter million dollars is, a, is an average client. Now, by the way, that and, and to finish that, 
We've just finished um, our most recent actuarial study on our data uh, as we start going into risk financing plans and we're going to start building risk financing plans around it. So I know that class, I, I know that from a, from a, um, uh, where we perform better than anywhere else is in class uh, in hazard codes four and five. So um, if anybody that knows that, then they can check that out. That's, you know, like drywall and, you know, plumbing contractors and masonry contractors. It's where I live yeah. every day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there, there's a reason for that. It's because there's enough meat on the bone for it to make sense most of the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially when you're dealing with the artists and contractors, um, not artisan service contractors, whatever you want to call them, there's a big difference between if you're dealing with business to consumer or business to business, the con the commercial type work, because when when you're when you're dealing with a homeowner who's really mm -hmm. looking over your shoulder, who's making sure that you have the right safety programs, that your experience mod is in within reason, usually below one, mm -hmm. um, and, and all of that. Not in the business to consumer world, very, very rarely, which is why I go there because they're not being watched. And I know that there's a high, much higher likelihood that the experience mod has crept up, that they lack the controls that they should have. Because even in the commercial and industrial world, if you don't have that, if you don't have all of that formality in place, but you have a good mod, you're still going to qualify for a job and they're going to give you that stuff when you get to that job in most cases. You know, when you're dealing with OSIPs and CSIPs and all of that stuff, you're going to operate under their rules anyhow. But I think that it's interesting, you know, if you're a producer that's out listening to this right now, that's why the business to consumer and artisan contractor marketplace is red hot for prospecting. A lot of people want to sell them insurance, but very few understand what they need to do to keep them in business and solve the problems they have. Well, yeah. And I want to make sure that, that, that it's not, misconstrued that that's where we operate. I mean, a third of our business is in, 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 in uh, hospitality and restaurants and stuff like that. But yeah, for all intents and purposes, um, our loss ratios are in the 25% range typically in, in classic and uh, hazard codes four and five or D and E depending on where you're at. Yep. Mm -hmm. No, I get it. I mean, that, that is right in our wheelhouse for what we do at my agency mm -hmm. specifically. So, AJ, back to you for a second, playing ping pong here. What's the biggest thing you've learned since you've been in your role? Oh, uh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, just in general, the workers' compensation as a whole, um, I, I had no experience with it moving into it. Um, so learning kind of what an EMOD was, was the first step of it all, right? Um, but then, then moving into the sales piece of it, um, you know, th these are things that, that, uh, I hadn't had a chance to, to really do outside of, um, what I was doing prior, which was, which was coaching, um, and running my own, my own, uh, facility and stuff like that. So, um, what I've learned the most is, is yeah, just the overall, the overall, um, fact of, um, workers' compensation. Um, I feel like I'm, knowledgeable enough to have a conversation with somebody that that knows what works compensation is um but i definitely not on the same level as steve i would i would admit that that's for sure what do you think the what's the biggest surprise been for you what did you learn about comps that you didn't ex like understanding literally everything you learned was probably relatively new to you but i mean all of us have had jobs other than what we're doing right now and probably had some 
experience with someone who got injured on the job, whether it be us or somebody that was a coworker or whatever else. So we have, we have preconceived notions. And if we haven't had that happen to us, we've all certainly seen plaintiff's attorneys commercials on TV. So what was your impression coming in and what caught you, what caught you off guard? Uh, I would say that the fact that works compensation insurance is completely different than any other kind of insurance out there. Um, you know, with, with how they handle their reserves and, and whatnot, like it's nothing compared to your auto insurance. Um, and I think that was the biggest thing that caught me off guard was that, that you know, employers are getting beat up pretty bad when it comes to their workers' compensation costs versus somebody that, that, uh, you know, they're, they're dealing with their auto insurance. Um, it's not near as bad. Um, you can't even compare the two, to be honest. And I would probably argue that that's relative to whatever state you're in because the state we're both sitting in right now, and I know you'd probably don't know this as well as I do other than your parents have a business here. We're continuously seeing rate decreases in workers' comp, which, again, if you understand the mod formula, the mod's going to go up as a result of that. But um, for all practical purposes, man, the auto rates are brutal here. I mean, I, I, I would take comp 10 out of 10 times over auto in Florida right now, but point taken in other parts of the country. You know, we've got a lot of weird things. There's a lot of things that make it a little easier from a sales perspective in Florida for comp, one of which is the fact we have state-administered pricing. So the real competitive advantage is your intellectual property and ability to sell a value proposition in Florida and then execute that as opposed to going in and quoting and selling on price. I mean, if you're only... If your only leverage is I can get you 10 extra points on a 0% loss ratio on a dividend, a sliding scale dividend, that's a real weak argument at the point of sale. So, you know, I think that in our environment, it's made it very interesting for the people who don't understand, you know, what happens in the comp environment when a claim actually occurs and can then go in and articulate and explain in financial terms what that means to a business owner so that you have the ability to drive cultural change in the company don't waste your time, man. This is not, you know, people in Florida should not do that. In, in other states, people will argue, you know, I've hear, heard producers argue all the time, well, it's not always just the mod. You have to look at the loss cost multipliers. That's ultimately what's going to set the rates and everything else. And we can, we can get into semantics all day long about it. But at the end of the day, you know, I think that you guys are as valuable or more valuable in our state because it's so often overlooked, I think that the agents and, you know, I'd be interested in Steve's perspective on this, depending on how many agents you, you work with or have worked with in Florida. But the, the average Main Street or even just producer in a multi-line shop throws their hands up. They don't feel like they have any control over it. State tells us what we have to do. Here's what it is. Take it or leave it. I'll go over and try and get you a real good rate on your GL or your auto and hammer an underwriter on that. But the comp's kind of what it is, so I'm not going to really put any effort into learning what I need to know about it because I'm left feeling like I have zero control mm -hmm. over the ultimate out the, the overall outcome of somebody's workers' comp program. That's what I see every single day, which is why I was attracted to it. I'm of the mindset that if I see the industry going right, I'm going to sprint left because that's where the real opportunity is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if agents – and I'll, look, I'll call it what it is. You guys don't need to be the bad guys, but agents are fundamentally lazy people. They can make good money at a quick hit, right? Um, you go out and write a quarter million dollar comp account, that's twenty five grand in revenue for your agency. If you write one of those a month, you just put $300,000 in revenue into your agency. And if you're making 50% of that, that's $150,000 a year sal income just 
to close one account a month, right? Why would you do any more than you had to if you can work and write one account a month and make 150,000 bucks? Thankfully, I'm not wired that way. Right. So, but, but that, that's what you're dealing with. That's the whole reason I got into the insurance industry. The guy that recruited me to get in to the insurance industry said, David, insurance industry is full of average people, period. They're C players. If you're an A player, you will come into this industry and absolutely dominate because you'll work harder. You'll work smarter. You'll make the right moves. You'll, you'll be there to answer your phone at three 30 on a Friday afternoon when everybody else is bending elbows at the bar or playing golf. And guess what? He was right. Mm -hmm. He was absolutely right. I left the grocery industry where I was working a hundred hours a week. I worked 50 hours a week. My first year, if not 60 hours a week, I was working half as much as I used to. I felt like I was on vacation and I'm working twice as much as my competition is. It's, it's the easiest industry in the world for somebody who's self-motivated and driven to succeed in, which is why there's so many millionaires born out of the insurance industry. But I think that, you know, people, people don't pay attention to it. I don't think that it's, that they're not capable of doing it. All of us are. But I just don't think they pay attention to it. I think comp is the redheaded stepchild in most insurance programs in Florida. Well, and you asked, you said that you wanted to, to get my take on it. So what people, what AJ was referring to and where we actually put our attention on is the impact that claims costs, the direct impact that claims ha costs have on premiums. And workers' compensation is really the only line of insurance where that happens. And even in the soft market that we're in right now, even in Florida, we're finding every dollar in, in undiscounted primary claims costs is creating over $2 in workers' compensation premiums. When you, you don't have that direct impact of claims costs on premiums and other lines of insurance. And that's, uh, and, and that's what um, is controllable, by the way, because there's a direct impact of claims costs on premium, makes it controllable. In the other lines of insurance, it's all dependent on on, on underwriting and actuarial uh, projections. In workers' compensation, you have direct control over your own costs by controlling your experience modification, even if you are a small employer with a with a, with an experience modification. So here's a question I have for you. How would you compare that to the experience rating we have on auto that's state legislated in Florida? I don't know anything about that. So I mean, okay. yeah, because I mean, we... we yeah, well, we do have, and that's what I was going to say, in Florida, I don't know about any other state. So we're kind of having two different conversations to some degree because right. I only know Florida really well. You guys know way more about anything outside of Florida and probably more than I do about Florida too. But I will tell you, um, we do have experience rating on auto. Mm -hmm. When you've been in business for five years or longer, you're experience rated on your auto just like you are your workers' comp. Right. Is there the... Not through NCCI, obviously, yeah. but it's it's done through the state. That happens to be in Florida too, damn it. So... Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, uh. but but it's interesting. So, AJ, who are you calling on? Are you calling on clients direct? Are you calling on agencies looking to get brand awareness out there? I mean, you're you're in front of fifteen thousand people listening to you right now. No pressure. I mean, I'm sure that at least two or three would be interested in hearing what you want to say, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, and that's two or 3000, not two or three. <laughs> no, I, I'm interested in, in any kind of business owners. I'm interested in insurance agents, brokers. Um, those are the people I want to talk to uh, because I really feel like WCCA can make a difference when it comes to their clients. Um, a, we can help save them money. Um, and we can, we can help with, with everything when it comes to workers' compensation. Um, so that, that's who I want to talk to. I want to talk to your insurance agents. I want to talk to your brokers. 
Um, and if you have business owners that are on here too, uh, those are people I want to talk to also. So what are some things, Steve, that if I'm an agent, what am I looking for to know whether or not I need you guys? If you have a client, let's say you have a workers' compensation client that you're, you're worried about losing, I'll save it for you. Um, and then I'll protect you at the same time. So we have a, we have a, a the way that we create fi- fr- uh, franchise value is not by paying commission. It's by protecting our agents when somebody brings us in. We tend to stay with that um, that employer for a long period of time, and they can use it as leverage to keep the account. Because if they bring it to us, by the way, if they they bring us a submission, and we present it. We won't. Um, we won't accept that in any other manner from another um, in, uh, another uh, insurance agent or f- directly from that employer for a year. Um, and if we write the account and they leave the employer, we'll non-renew it. So or leave the agent, we'll non-renew it if they're an agent who's met the minimum um, requirements. So here's another question for you. I do a lot of my work on the front end. Mm-hmm. We're we're never hired around the insurance piece mm-hmm. ever. Right. Like 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. I will not go to market and quote until we're already named agent of record or we've got a signed letter of engagement because I don't you know there are times where you don't want to AOR an account cuz you don't know what the rat's nest really looks like mm-hmm. and you certainly don't want to be responsible for things that you didn't create. Um how valuable are you at the point of sale or prior to the point of sale? And I would be interested in knowing like of your engagements, how much of it is from an agency that is going in and they see they have an account that's had some trouble and they just can't get their arms around everything that's happened versus the agency that goes out, they write the account. And now all of a sudden they're like, Oh my goodness, I can't believe we missed this when we were getting ready to bring this on board. We've got a bigger claims problem than I thought we had. What's the mix of what you do? I mean, I would I would see you guys as being absolutely deadly on front end due diligence. Yeah, we actually are. That's it. It depends on when you bring us in. If the the problem is 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 most important, like right now, we're right we're a week prior to the busiest renewal date and workers' compensation in the country. So we're we're, we have brokers bringing us in on deals all over the place at the moment. In those situations, all we're doing, the, the problem is, is the employer's uh, mentality is on the renewal at that particular time. And what they're looking at is the best price. And even if you, I can go in there and I can, I can put a spear in that and pierce that for a few minutes, they're really still thinking about the price at that particular time. So we become little more than a bell and a whistle at that time. However, if you brought us in 90 days prior to renewal, and let us actually do the due diligence by saying, okay, this is what you got. This is what you need to do, Mr. Em- uh, uh, employer. You need to pay us to do this. And then you know you have somebody who's serious. And you can go out and you can take broker record on that all day long. However, the two best times to bring us in on new business is prior to unit stat. 45 days prior to unit stat, you'll get BORs all day long just because we can go in, we can show them what they're missing out on, the things that we can do. We may even be able to save them money during that particular time. And then if they, and then you guys go in and take broker record, just got to service it for six months for free. Um, and the best time is the month after renewal. 100%. Yeah. I preach it uh, 24-7, 365. Right. 
and and the whole thing is, I think that where my peer group has issues, at least, I mean, not the ones listening to this podcast, obviously, but where my peer group has issues is wrapping their head around the compensation piece. Mm -hmm. the, you know, they don't want to service an account for 11 months right. or 10 months or whatever else. Well, guess what, people? Charge a service fee, right? right? Charge a service fee for risk management services. Yeah, there are some states you can't you, do you that know, in, but in, in Florida, I guess you can. But, yeah. yeah, we can do it in Florida. We just can't take a commission and a fee on the same policy, right. period. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, if I'm in California or Texas where I've got good friends that make just buckets of money with non-standard auto shops, they're taking the commission and adding a fee to yeah. it. The nuance for us is you can't do it on the same policy. So when you set your fee agreement up, you need to be very clear as to what the fee agreement covers and you remain silent on those things that it doesn't cover. And we can't net out commissions on workers' comp in Florida. So when we place comp, we always take the commission. But if I take a BOR on a policy where another agent's going to get paid until that policy renews, I can charge fees for my time and service all day long mm -hmm. uh, to be able to go out and do risk management servicing or whatever else. But I, I love the I love the one month after renewal for all the right reasons, man. Somebody has a bad renewal, they're still upset about it. They're not, you know, they're they're just steaming. And if you can get that meeting, I, I literally believe if I can get a meeting with somebody a month after renewal, I'm going to close it 100 yeah. percent of the time. There's a reason they're taking the meeting. The data itself is still relatively fresh, at least fresh enough for me to be able to give the loss runs a good once over and and know what I'm dealing with, and it's still relatively credible data. It's obviously not up to the minute, but but it's not more than 60 days old in most cases. And you've got such a head start on your competition that if you get that audience, right. you've displaced the incumbent and anybody else long before the 60 to 90 day phone call to get an appointment. And that's, mm -hmm. that's the first point of entry for us. The second point of entry for us, like you said, 45 days before unit stat, we want to talk to people about what have you, what have you seen? What conversations you have you had about your current claims environment that could have an impact when your preliminary mods calculated, mm -hmm. right? Right. Yeah. And if we don't get it there, then we fall into the 60 to 90 day rut that everybody else is in. And we rely on our value proposition to differentiate us when we get the audience. Mm -hmm. But people, you you just heard it from somebody else that's been doing this a lot longer than I have. That's far more of an expert in workers comp. A month after renewal is prime time, mm -hmm. baby. It is prime time. By far. So I'll, uh, I'll get a new agent and I'll say, OK, let's have a half hour conversation. Let's go through your tickler file. And of course, he brings out the stuff that's coming up in the next 120 days. I said, no, what did you just lose? And why did you lose it? Because you were quoting price. Let's go in there and let's say, look, you know, you got a 150 mod. Somebody's, you've got to do something about that. And we got a, we, we got a solution for you. And if I can show you a solution and you do it, you need to give me broke record. You've got to get that okay first before you bring us in. Okay. But, and if they say okay, I'm going to sell them. Yeah. I mean, look, I've handed out my number one telemarketing script many times on the podcast and I'm getting ready to do it again. People, this is why two no's to a yes is the best script period, mm -hmm. right? What Steve just said, 1.5 mod. Are you happy that you're paying at least 50% more than the average peer in your industry group for your workers' compensation? The answer is going to be no. If they even know they're paying at least 50% more. Has anybody come in and used software to validate that your experience mod is even accurate and correct? The answer is more than likely going to be no, because if they have a 1.5 mod, nobody's paying attention to it. 
So you hit them between the eyes with, well, since you're not happy that you're paying at least 50% more than your peer group for comp and nobody's come in to validate it, wouldn't you agree that it makes sense for us to sit down for 20 or 30 minutes mm -hmm. and talk about how my company is able to save companies just like yours tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars a year? End of story. Yep. You will get that appointment every time if you can right. get them to engage in conversation. Yeah, and actually, and don't be afraid to be provocative. I tell brokers that all the time. Knock them, hit them between the eyes with something. Be provocative. Say something that they, they're not going to believe or it's going to take them off, off balance and then prove it. How much do you guys get involved when you're doing your consulting um, and, and due diligence stuff? How much do you get involved in soft costs? None. Yeah, because you can't actuarially prove it. I mean, I know what the Bureau of Labor Statistics says the averages are based on whatever the averages are based off of. And you know what? Salespeople, it's great for flair at the point of sale. If you can tell somebody that they have indirect costs that are 2x to 20x the direct cost of a workers' comp uh, workers compensation claim. But at the end of the day... You got to stick with where the numbers are if you're going to prove actually be able to prove a case and get somebody dislodged. You can create the emotion, but you still have to come back with the logic and the math and tie it to dollars in order to get the deal done. Mm -hmm. And I always ask that because you can talk to 10 different people and you're going to have people split right down the middle when you talk about total cost of risk. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily what you guys do per se, but total cost of risk as to whether or not soft cost should or should not be included in, in the total cost of risk calculation. So... I always ask anybody that I know would understand what that is, you know, what their what their positioning is. Well, what I, the the only soft costs I bring into my presentations and my conversations is look, I all I can do is I can and I'm guaranteeing our guarantee is, is based on our ability to show an impact a reduction in impact on premium. And um, but I what I will tell people is is what this is what I'm going to be able to do for you. By the way, we have a 75% success ratio in the NCCI states and bringing our clients to within 10 points of their minimum mod within 40 within four years. And But once I get them there, your agent is going to have more ammunition in negotiating with the underwriters because we're going to make you look really, really good and attractive. When you guys go in and you work with one of these accounts and it's fresh for you, how often is there no light due to your return to work in place when you engage? Less than half the time, actually. So probably 40% of the time. Or, or, but the reality is they don't understand what light duty is for. Light duty. That was the follow-up question. Yeah. <laughs> You're reading my mind. Yeah. That was the next question. Light, light duty. They say, oh, yeah, I got them back to work. Four weeks later, no. No. Yeah. It, the only reason there's a per reason, especially in the NCCI ERA states, is you need to get somebody back to work in the first, we say within 24 hours, because we want to preserve the waiting period in every jurisdiction that we're in. And then we then we have time, we have the ability to use days later on that, through the claim cycle. But the reality is we need to eliminate indemnity costs. Not decrease indemnity costs, eliminate indemnity costs. All of all of the studies that have been done that indicate the impact of indemnity costs on claims costs requires re elimination of indemnity costs, not reduction in indemnity costs. And then also you maintain your ERA discount in most of the states and the, the 35 or so um, um, uh, ERA states in the country. Yeah, I, I think that it's interesting because in my experience, going back to some of the classes that we've already talked about, the classes of business, mm -hmm. 
return to work is viewed as, as a punitive thing to do to an employee, right? In, mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, oh, I'm going to have them file, you know, designs, or I'm going to have them count paper clips, or I'll have them do this, or I'll have them do that. It's not that difficult to think outside the box and find something creative for somebody to do, mm-hmm. right? So here's my tip, producers. You've heard me tell the story before, but a lot of people probably haven't heard it. If you want to understand how you can creatively think about return to work, recover at work, whatever you want to call it, um, you need to be looking at these companies' websites and their job postings before you go out and meet with them. The story yeah. I always tell was a plumbing company that was that, that had no return to work in place, and when I talked to the owner, he's like, I'm old school, man. I'm a contractor. We don't have jobs counting paper clips around here. I'd rather not look at them. I'd rather them stay home and, and get healthy. And my response was, well, I did my due diligence before I came out and I noticed that you had a job posted on your website. It looks like it's been posted for three years for somebody to work in your call center. Mm-hmm. Is that a tough job for you to fill? <laughs> well, yeah, nobody wants idea. to work in there. That, so. yeah. yeah. Like, hey, um, who else better to work in your call center you know, than a plumber? These guys are the face of your flipping company hey. for crying out loud. That's who your consumer sees. And I said, you know, it would be very beneficial to the culture. It would help them. It would help your call center people maybe listening to some of the things these people are hearing and seeing. But guess what? If you ever wanted to see how quickly a plumber is recovered and returned to work, mm-hmm. put them in a call center. You know, they may not be quite as tight as they told the doctor they are after they have to be on the phones for two or three days working. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it creates a level of honesty there at some point. But you don't do that to be punitive. You do it because it's a role that's needed in the organization that they can fill. And guess what? They feel valued and they may, the job may suck. They may not want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, if they feel like, wow, I, I put in a decent day's work and I made a difference, there's something to be said for that. You know, I, 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 I don't know if you know, I'm sure you probably know Kevin Ring and Preston Diamond. Um, Preston Diamond. From the, yeah. So Kevin, Kevin and I were talking um, a little while. Actually, we had, when we had him on the podcast. And I don't remember the percentage he rattled off to me. But I think that it's important that agents understand this. It's a very large number of people that file a workers' compensation claim. This is the first time they've ever had to do that. They have no idea what to expect. They don't know what's getting ready to happen to them. They don't know what the communication is going to be like. And this is incumbent upon us to help our clients, their employer, have those processes and procedures in place so that when these things happen, those people understand it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. The average person that gets injured for the first time, the first thing they're doing is looking at their medical insurance to determine how much they're going to be out of pocket in this deal. Mm -hmm. And unless you've got a a, a methodology in place that, you know, you've got assigned responsibilities and how claims are going to be reported and who's going to handle what, when, and making sure that you're following up, whether you're the owner of the company or definitely somebody that's like a supervisor to that person, almost immediately, but definitely within the first 24 hours to make sure they understand, look, we value you. We want you to get back as quickly as possible and we're going to do everything we can and be sincere about it. It's not it's not hard, but we get weird, man. When somebody gets hurt, we get weird as employers. We're afraid. you know. We're in such a litigious society. The, the commercials are all over the place. And people see all of these billboards. They don't have. They don't ever have the billboard that says, "I called Morgan and Morgan fifteen times, and they wouldn't take my case." Right? That they don't. Uh, that one's never the one that's up. That's the reality. Is you only see the ones where people win big, mm-hmm. and it's you know, it's it's just like a giant call center over there at this point. But 
it's just it's nuts to me. And I, I think that it, it's incumbent upon us to educate our clients and our prospects with the real value of return or recover at work, both from a financial standpoint as well as a cultural standpoint for the organization as a whole. By the way, we take that out of the question. So, so it's it, we only about five percent of all of our our injuries ever incur any indemnity cost at all, and so we're actually in charge of that return to work pro- process for the employer, and then they just have to comply with it. We have to we do all the backward we get the 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 restriction, we provide the bona fide offer, all of that stuff is available, and all they have to do is accommodate it at that point. Agreed. Yeah, we we actually do the exact same thing when we go in. We've got it prepackaged. It's a requirement. I will not work with your your company if you don't put return to work in place or you don't put our return to work in place if yours is broken. If you, now, if you've got one and it's working great, highly likely we're not talking. <laughs> There's no reason for us to talk anyhow. But I, I agree. I mean, to me, that's the biggest thing in when we sit down and talk. It's always amazing to me because I'll ask a client – Talk to me a little bit about your return to work program, and they'll 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 start to talk, and basically they're trying to shut me down, assuming you know that I'm just not going to ask any more questions because it's going to be painfully obvious they have it. What's painfully obvious is that they don't understand it, and so I just pretend like I never heard that they said they have it, and just continue to push. Oh, so you have a bona fide offer letter, and you have predefined jobs that you're going to put these people in. No, no, they don't. They don't have any of that. Who's who's your return to work coordinator? I mean, is it the business owner who's wearing fifteen hats and now they got to try and fit this in too? Do you have a dedicated resources or somebody that's responsible for safety? We go for days on all of it. What have we missed that you guys want to make sure everybody hears before we wrap up? Um, so what I would like people to know is we I love to work with brokers and agents and help them sell workers' compensation insurance. Um, and I promise them if they if they utilize this as a sales tool that will solidify their existing book of business and significantly increase their their new business flow. Yeah, I think it's uh it's important to uh to know that we're not here to take their business or anything like that. We're not here to sell insurance. Um, we're here to to help them um, either save a client or or get a client. Um, you know, we look at it as we're offering a service for them. So, um, as long as they don't look at us as, as scared, of, scared of us, um, you know, we're, we're here to help them for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for the agents that are listening to this, these guys fill a need that quite frankly, you're not willing to get educated on in most cases. Mm-hmm. And so when you're not willing to be educated on something or put the work in yourself, that costs money, right? You, you're going to have to go and you're going to have to pony up, but what it doesn't cost you is your account. And so I would challenge everybody that's listened to this who's, I know, thinking in your head right now, I, I, I lost this account or I didn't get an opportunity to bring this piece of new business on. Or, man, I'm really worried about what the renewal is going to be like or what the, when the experience mod comes out for this one. You're not going to do anything about it. You haven't done anything about it so far. That's why it's where it is. Take your time. Do it the right way. Focus on the things you're really good at. Stay in your lane and outsource to the things that you're not. Mm-hmm. Whether you pay the bill or whether your client pays the bill is really irrelevant to me because it's an investment in a relationship that you want to have for a long time. If you want to understand why in my agency our clients don't expect us to go to market every single year, we're, we agree up front we're going to do a th- every three-year validation of pricing in the marketplace. This is why. They trust what we're doing, right? They they understand what we're doing. 
and they put they put stock in that. This is the same same thing. They're willing to invest in us. You need to be willing to invest in them. And this goes back to not selling on price ever. Mm -hmm. Period. End of story. The other thing Guys, is, is what, one more thing is that um, sure. I'd love to do a presentation for for your your producer meetings and things like that. We'll take one of your accounts. We'll do an analysis. We'll present it to all the pro, uh, all the producers. They'll walk out of that meeting at least understanding the value and the the power of the things that we can do. Yeah, no, that would be great. I know exactly the account too, and, uh, as I sit here. Yeah, you need so it's one, one that you haven't been able to fix. So, yeah, it's no, it's, it's a brand new one that I just brought on. That's a service contractor that operates in 25 states that does roofing, siding, windows and doors like it's right in the hazard classes that we're looking at. And it's it's got the loss, the loss uh, data that we need. So it would be a perfect, perfect one to do. So I will take you up on that offer and we'll put you on one of our calls inside of our our private community here right after the first of the year. But um, for all intents and purposes, I think we beat comp to death on this so far. Um, we need to leave a little bit for them next time. Maybe what we do is we have you come on the uh, on the call right after the first of the year, and then we have you come back on and we break it down on the podcast for everybody to hear. You know what what they saw and get it, get them some exposure to like real numbers as opposed to concept. Right. So with that being said, we got one more day, <laughs> one more day until Christmas. That's right? right. I don't. In in the January first thing, it's funny. I don't have a huge one one. Um, it's it's okay, but yeah. when people ask me about it, I tell them I launched my agency in July with nothing but what was in my pocket out of the dining room on my home. January wasn't even on the radar. I needed money in August, September, October, and November to make sure I was still around in January. Yeah, yeah. So I took a little break when it came up to the one one renewals because I was working triple time to get money on the books, um, so I could start hiring people and get some office space, but. I just appreciate you guys coming on today. I think that what you have to say is valuable. I think your service and your product is valuable. Your intellectual capital is second to none. And anybody listening to this would be remiss if they didn't reach out to you on a troubled account at least once to, to have you help them. Uh, it just makes all the sense in the world to me, and hopefully they do. Tell them where they can find you guys before we sign off. Um, our um, website is uh, WCCAmerica.com. It's the Workers' Compensation Company of America, WCCAmerica.com. I've also um, implemented uh, this morning, I created a new email address where you can send us an email. We'll send you back a, pack, a marketing packet if you'd like. And that's just packet, P-A-C-K-E-T, at WCCAmerica.com. Packet at WCCAmerica.com. Check it out, people. They're going to help you not lose business and help you win more. Guys, I appreciate it. I hope you have a Merry Christmas. Enjoy time with family. AJ, it's good to have you back in the uh, 813, yes. albeit temporarily. And hope that you uh, have safe travels as you're traveling around during the holiday season, guys. Really appreciate your time today. Happy holidays. Appreciate it, David. Thank Happy you. New Year. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. <laughs>